Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to the Lead to Succeed podcast. And we have another amazing guest for you today. It's, he is Simon Alexander Ong, and he is all about energy and why that is so important when it comes to leading a team and growing a business. Now, Simon has a book out called Energize. We're going to be hearing a bit about that. But today, we're going to be focusing on why energy is everything when it comes to building a thriving business. We're also going to be talking about how to lead with purpose and empower others and the importance of self-awareness. Now, Simon, I will just do a quick intro in a minute, but just to kick off, I have a few things in common with Simon, and one is that we're both foodies. And what you might not know about me, really the only reason why I exercise is so that I can enjoy food. (laughs) And we are both fans of a classic book by Napoleon Hill called Think and Grow Rich. And I'm just saying to Simon, I read that book a couple of times before I began to get it and understand it and Simon said that I probably need to read the book again because we, it always reveals something new so on that note Simon over to you big welcome to you and if there's anything you'd like to elaborate on that introduction please do so Rebecca first of all thank you so much for having me on your show very much looking forward to our conversation together and yes you know Think and Grow Rich it was one of the first books that opened my that opened my mind to the power of personal development and why the greatest investment we can make is in ourselves. So absolutely true, isn't it? I mean, you know, I like to say, if you don't believe in investing in you, what do you believe in investing in? Mm, Great question, Rebecca. You know, I always say that you can't expect to achieve your, your biggest goals in life if you're always playing small. And so until we take responsibility for where we are and where we want to be, life truly doesn't begin yet but once we do for me that is when we enter the beauty of energetic flow well you're also um, a, a coach life coach and a business strategist so let's focus on the business side and kick mm. off with the question what do you think makes a great inspiring and outstanding leader simple answer rebecca what makes for an outstanding leader is the fact that they are a great coach That is fundamentally what I believe, because if you look at studies conducted by companies like Google, you know, you go back to 2008 and you may have come across the the study called Project Oxygen. Now, Google conducted this to understand what made great leaders. And over a year of data collection, quantitative, qualitative analysis, what they discovered that the greatest leaders within their organization were also the best coaches. And so for me, that's what makes a great leader. A leader is not about your title. A leader is about your ability to empower other people, to create an environment that allows others to flourish, to become their own leader. So really, it's about creating more leaders. And we do that by being great coaches. So for me, that's where it begins, uh, Rebecca. 
Uh, and if we sit from that perspective, what we begin to realize is that if we want to lead others, it begins with powerfully leading ourselves first. So I think I know what that means, but let's hear it from you. What does leading yourself first mean to you? Sure. So for me, Rebecca, leading yourself is being aware of who you are. Many of us simply aren't. Uh, for me, you can't have self-development without self-awareness because you can't change what you're not aware of. And that is why a true wisdom begins with knowing ourselves. One of the most important activities that I've embraced uh, in my journey as an entrepreneur is that of writing and journaling. It is, if you will, it is the cheapest form of therapy, Rebecca, because it allows us to understand ourselves at a deeper level, to download what is on our mind onto paper so that we have less cluttered minds and space to think clearly, but also to understand what that next step forward is. And in the book, I had the opportunity to interview Diana Chow, who is an incredible lady. She started the world's largest youth for youth not-for-profit, and she talked about how writing saved her life. And in one of the TED Talks that she delivered, she shared that writing is humanity distilled into ink. Writing is humanity distilled into ink. And that is because as we write, as we journal, we get to understand ourselves more. We get to understand our own humanity, what makes us who we are, and where can we improve as a person so that we can show up as, uh, as a better version. So would one of your tips to leaders and I think we both appreciate that you could be a leader at any stage of your career whatever your role is you can be a leader it's about stepping into that and seeing yourself as the leader would you agree with that Simon? Definitely I mean when I talk about that leadership begins with us it's really uh, understanding where we are right now uh, what we're capable of what stands in our way and what must happen for us to improve and part of the part of the journey in in getting to uh, the next level of leadership is really embracing the mindset of an eternal student to have the humility to know that you don't know it all to be able to ask for help to be able to relearn things that may not always serve you today as they may have done in the past you know, Rebecca, when I went to uh, the United States to speak uh, a couple of years ago, uh, just before I was due to share some thoughts with, uh, with an audience at Salesforce, I had the opportunity to speak to Simon Sinek, a fellow Simon in, in the leadership space. And I asked him, what would be one tip you would give to those people who are aspiring to be better leaders in their own life, but also uh, to, to lead teams within organizations? And he shared three words. He said, ask for help, ask for help. And the reason is if we are to create trusting spaces within the teams that we lead, it begins with us showing vulnerability. Now showing vulnerability doesn't make you any less of a leader. It simply makes you human. And as a byproduct of that, relatable. And I think this is what teams crave. They want to be able to relate to their leaders. And when leaders can show that vulnerability that they don't know it all, it also gives permission to all those around them to also ask for help. And that is when, when we talk about leading by example, that is what it is about. You can't expect those that you lead to demonstrate the qualities you want them to demonstrate if you yourself don't do that. 
And I think just by opening that up and showing that level of uncertainty or vulnerability mm. um, allows for that psychological safety, which is quite an important phrase that's being discussed at the moment, isn't it? Especially with all the things that are happening um, around us. Now, one of the points I'd like to ask you about that, how far do you think we have to move between where leadership generally stands today and getting to a place where all leaders are willing and open to share their vulnerabilities with their teams. Where do you think we are on that scale right now? I think we are in a lot better place than when I first started at work, Rebecca. And and just to give an example, I remember uh, being invited last year to to speak at a bank. And the group of people that invited me to, to speak at this particular bank was their wellbeing committee. Now, I started in I started my career in the world of finance back in the middle of 2007. And when I was starting my career, you would have been laughed at if you had suggested a company having a well-being committee. Yeah. And so I think the fact that we progressed from that, in which it was all about suck it up, man up, get on with the job, to today in which we have well-being committees, we have chief people officers, uh, there's some companies that even have chief heart officers. So we're now in a place in which leaders and managers are encouraged to show and develop greater empathy with their fellow colleagues and the people that they are responsible for. So I think we are a lot further along the line than when I first started my career. And I think the world is a much better place for it. Of course, there is a lot more work to do because you hear a lot of uh, challenges for staff who don't have that sort of connection to upper management. I mean, I mean you just got to look at the news and see what PO did to their staff. I, I mean, it's atrocious. And, and when you talk about human capital, I, I mean, this is complete mismanagement of human capital. And so I think there is still a way to go, but we are in a lot better place, generally speaking, uh, than we were over a decade ago. Well, it's encouraging to hear that, isn't it? And we can see that shift. But still, as you say, Phil, it's got a way to go. And mm. that piano situation was really incredulous, wasn't it? Yeah. How how could that have possibly how could that happen? Like <laughs> <laughs> with you and I, you think really that's just unbelievable. Mm. But it just Definitely. shows that there is still work to be done. And it's great that you know people like you are really helping leaders and showing leaders that there is a much better way to to lead an organization, to be a leader. In your, in your own right. Definitely. I mean, what I think many leaders forget is that at a very, very basic level, when you design space, when you show people that they are trusted, supported, and appreciated in the space that you create, your business will flourish. Your business will flourish. And I think people underestimate the uh, importance of investment into your human capital. And, and when you underestimate that, it's going to come back to bite you because when you actually involve your staff members, your employees, your colleagues in big decisions to make them feel part of the journey, part of the family, you'll be surprised at how much they want to support you uh, in very challenging circumstances. And I think it also goes a little bit further than that, perhaps, because they have great ideas. Mm. You've just got to encourage them. And let them know that no idea is silly because your amazing idea might be the best thing for the business. But if we don't encourage that, Mm. we'll never hear it. 
And how often have you heard a situation, and I heard of this recently, um, why should I bother? Nobody listens to me. Mm. Why should I bother to come up with a new idea? What a waste of talent. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more, Rebecca. And when we spoke just now about where we are along this, uh, this journey, uh, I think it's very much a transition from a culture back when I started in the industry in which performance driven culture was the norm. You know, it was exclusively performance driven. You are either right or you're wrong. And if you're wrong, that is a mark against your name when it comes to your performance appraisals. But I think we are slowly progressing or evolving today into consideration of a growth centric culture. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not about having one or the other, but it's about blending the two. There's a place for performance-driven cultures and also a place for growth-centric cultures. And we have to blend the two together. Now, what I mean by growth-centric culture is that you are not putting pressure on the result. You're putting pressure on the learning. So you are encouraging people to get things wrong, but then challenging them to reflect on what they learn. How are you going to come back with that newfound knowledge in a way that allows you to grow from who you were before you tried that experiment. And so I think when we embrace that growth-centric culture, as much as we do the performance side, then that's when we start to unleash the talents within our organizations. So that sounds fantastic, a growth-centric culture. Mm. So we have listeners who might say, oh, that sounds interesting, but what specifically do I need to do tomorrow in my business to make that happen or with my team sure how would you recommend they go about doing that well first of all if you are in a leadership position i i think the easiest first step goes back to something that stephen covey noted in his book the seven habits of highly effective people which is seek first to understand and then to be understood so what does this mean in practice this means that if you want to unlock the uh, talent potential within your team you have to start understanding your team as a whole, i.e. each individual has certain preferences, dislikes, strengths, and weaknesses, and different skill sets to one another. But once you start understanding each of them as an individual, that's when you know how you can create the space for each of them to flourish. And how do you suggest they might go about doing that? Are you talking about sitting down, having a one-to-one and just getting to know them and ask questions. Is that how you would recommend doing that? Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's time spent with your team, time spent with your employees. That is how we build that connection. It's like, you you know, uh, Rebecca, if you are a parent and you rarely spend time with your child, you don't really understand your child. So you don't know uh, how to speak in their language. You don't know uh, what their likes or their dislikes are. But as you spend more time with them, you understand how to best communicate with them. Uh, You know, some people are visual thinkers. uh, Some people prefer attention to detail. uh, Some people are more emotional than other people. But once we begin to understand how people receive information and uh, how they rate its importance, then we can be much more specific and bespoke in how we deliver that information. And your book is out and it's on my reading list. (laughs) What... What are the key messages in your book? Are they very much what you're talking about here or are there some other key messages that you'd like to bring out on the podcast? Sure. I think at a high level, the book is speaking to the fact that we transform the way we live and work by transforming our relationship with our personal energy. 
Now, if we look at some of the most successful uh, leaders, uh, entrepreneurs, and business owners, what we discover is that they may not be the best necessarily uh, at what they do. They may not be the smartest. They may not be the fastest at what they do. But what they often are the best at is managing their energy because they know that if you show up each day exhausted and drained of energy, you can't possibly put your best work forward. You can't possibly show people what you're capable of because you don't have the energy to follow through or execute on the things that you know you could do. And so when I talk about energy, Rebecca, I see it from the point of view that there is our physical energy, our mental energy, our emotional energy, and spiritual energy. Now, physical energy is the part that we, uh, we talk about the most for obvious reasons. You know, we can see it, we can feel it, get more sleep, eat better, move your body. These are things that we can see has a direct impact on our energy levels. But the things we don't see as obvious are the other three, the mental, emotional, and spiritual side. And when we begin to address those areas as much as we can do our physical energy, I think that's when we start to feel uh, more energized when we approach each day at work. Okay, so we, we, we are probably all extremely clear about the physical side, as you said. We know the sleep and we know the exercise and we know the right, having the right nutrition and the right diet. Mm. So let's dive a little bit into the others and share some tips on what our listeners could do to improve the other areas. So let's start with mental energy. Sure. So mental energy is simply having the capacity to focus. And it is a challenge for many of us, you, you know, in, in a world that is increasingly getting noisier and more distracted, slowing down is becoming more of a superpower. So mental energy is simply having the brain power and attention to focus on the things that are most important in the everyday. And I'm sure many of us can relate to that. You know, often we sit down and have a long to-do list, but we just never get around to finishing it. And that is because our, our best laid plans go awry. You know, we start the day and before we start attacking that to-do list, we've been distracted by pingings of emails, of notifications, uh, our mind is in 20 different directions before we've even started on that list. So in order to actually increase our level of mental energy, it's about creating more white space in our calendar to schedule me time as much as you schedule your meetings, your social events, and your holidays. Because when you start scheduling your me time with just as much importance, you give yourself breathing space in the day to focus and to remind yourself of what you wanted to do when you began each day. Okay. I mean, I understand that completely. And I love the philosophy of deep work, which you, you may or may not have read the book on mm. deep work. Cal Newport. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for reminding me of the author's name. So I understand that. The one thing that I would love to dive into a little bit more and what you said is slowing down because... <laughs> I struggle with that one and maybe many of our listeners struggle with slowing down and I read lots about yeah we've got to slow down a bit but what does that really mean does that mean in your terms creating that space where we've got time for reflection and thinking is that what you mean definitely I mean there's two ways to think about it and, and um, I'll share what I mean here so imagine if you were an athlete and you were working towards a big event so you were going to perform in a stadium or in in, in a ring now, when you are training towards that event, imagine if you train physically nine to five every single day without periods of rest. 
by the time that big event comes around, you are exhausted in every sense of the word. Because there's not been any rest periods built in, you're going into the stadium or to the ring completely emptied out. And it's the same with us. If we don't build in rest periods, if we don't build in moments in which we can take a pit stop, in the same way a racing car has to take a pit stop so they can adjust to its surroundings or the weather or whatever conditions it is faced, we are just going to burn out and collapse. That is exactly what happens. We're going to crash. We're killing our energy. And so that's one way to think about it. The second is... If you reflect on your own life, where have you got your greatest creative breakthroughs? Now, I'm pretty sure it hasn't been sitting in front of a desk looking at your screens all day. Chances are it is when you've been on holiday, when you've had a long hot bath. Uh, I mean, look at some of the, the, the greatest breakthroughs in history, whether it's Isaac Newton discovering gravity, the apple falling from the tree, Archimedes, displacement theory, lying in a bathtub, Eureka, or Thomas Edison fishing with no baits and nobody, not even the fish would disturb him. I don't know if these anecdotes are true or not, but I think there is a lot of wisdom in them. Yeah. And that is when we deliberately and intentionally slow down, we open up the capacity to not only think different, but to access our creative energy. I, I love those points that you make and they're all very relatable so um, I hope that gives ideas out to our listeners about how you might interpret slowing down and I like the interpretation of making sure you give yourself time out hmm. for those new ideas to come in because when we're busy and hectic they don't come to the forefront and we're almost pushing them away. Definitely. What about spiritual and emotional energy Please provide us with some insights as to sure. leaders, why that's important and what we can do about it. So with, with spiritual energy, Rebecca, it is all about purpose. It is all about purpose. You know, when you are doing something that gives you the opportunity to access your strengths, uh, that is aligned to who you are, then you are going to be full of spiritual energy because it is who you are. This is how you work. This is how you operate. But when you are doing, the, doing something that goes against who you are, that does not give you the space to express your talent or your potential, and it's not what you feel you should be doing, then guess what? There's going to be tension. There's going to be a lot of tension between what you're doing and what you actually want to be doing inside. And it's why when people talk about the fact that the longest journey we humans make are the inches from our heads to our hearts, this is exactly what it is referring to. Because so often we make big life decisions from our head rather than our heart. And while it's not always guaranteed to lead us to where we want to be, it will always lead us, I've discovered, to where we need to be. And so I think if we are to elevate our spiritual energy, it is to understand why am I doing what I'm doing? What is the purpose for what I'm doing? Because I think when we can tap into purpose within the work that we do, we unlock the greatest sources of energy there is available. Well... Thank you for sharing your perspective on that. Should we tap into emotional or have you kind of covered that in spiritual? Yeah, so emotional energy really is about understanding your response to situations. Uh, so in our daily lives, when, we are, uh, when we're going about things in our business or uh, in the companies that we work for, often when an event occurs, we can react emotionally, i.e. Uh, we just react and then we regret how we reacted later 
And so we're not mindful of our response uh, to an event or to something unexpected that occurred. And so once we begin to master our emotional energy, it is simply to understand what had happened and to process that emotion in a way that is healthy for us so that our response can be a lot better than we want it to be. So I would interpret that as when we're on purpose, we're in flow and we're very clear. Hmm. When something, some, we react to something in a way that jars us a little bit, hmm. it's very worthwhile to reflect on that and understand why that has jarred us. Definitely, definitely. Because I think often we, uh, we focus on the things, we spend more time focusing on things that we can't control than the things hmm. that we can. And I think when we focus on what we can't control, we can get paralyzed by overthinking. We can get paralyzed by all those negative emotions of anger, frustration, sadness. But when we start to focus on what we can, that actually energizes us, Rebecca, because it empowers us to think there is actually small things that I can do that is in my control that will help me navigate out of this positively. I always think that when you take some action, it feels good. It builds momentum mm. and it's far better than sitting and worrying about something or being concerned about something. It always moves us forward and we feel better. I feel better as a result of it. Own it for me. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I mean action, I think uh, it, it, it's, it's easier said than done. Uh, but I think when we take action, however small, that is how clarity and confidence yeah. is born. Yes, exactly. It might have been on your on your website where I read this. I'm not sure, but something about um, confidence. You're not born with confidence. Confidence comes from taking action. So, mm. and seeing the results of that. Might have been Definitely. On your Definitely. I mean, for, from from my experience, Rebecca, confidence is uh, is never a prerequisite. Uh, confidence comes from taking action. Confidence comes from. Uh, not the absence of fear, but the, but the belief that you'll be okay despite your fears. And what actually precedes confidence is courage. The courage uh, to, to take that step, the courage to ask for help, the courage to try something different. And once you've discovered that courage and you've taken the action, however small, that is how you build your bank of confidence. Uh, and you add into that bank of confidence and you become more confident. So next time you're faced with that, you feel much more comfortable facing that challenge. Yeah. I agree with that. I can relate to that. And I've experienced that. So spot on. Thank you <laughs> for sharing that. Now, as we begin to kind of draw this, this amazing episode to a close, I'd like to ask you what have been some of your biggest business challenges and how you have addressed them. So maybe share some, some tips with our audience where you know, they may be in a challenging time right now. So how would you recommend what, what have you faced and how would you recommend, how did you get through it and how would you recommend others might get through a challenge? Sure. Rebecca, when you talk about challenges, I think if I look back at the last, the last few years, my greatest challenge has been uh, writing the book that we've mentioned in this conversation, Energize. Now, I understand that, that writing a book for the first time can be challenging, especially in my case, when the longest thing I've written before this book was a social media caption or a newsletter. And going from that to 65,000 words is of course a challenge. But what made this even more of a challenge for myself is that I got the, uh, I, I got the offer in June, 2020. And this was just a few weeks 
after my wife and I became parents for the first time. And we were mentally prepared uh, a few months earlier, so beginning of 2020, we were mentally prepared for her parents. Uh, they're based in New York and my side of the family who are based in Australia to come over and, and help support us in the first few, uh, the first few months of uh, being parents. Unfortunately, just before we gave birth, the world went into lockdown. And it meant that everybody who was looking to come to the UK had to cancel their flights. And you couldn't go out. You couldn't go out. Everybody was stuck in their homes. And so imagine the scenario of being a newborn uh, parent to a newborn. Uh, now you've got to write a 65,000 word book and your business has to adapt because, well, I do a lot of speaking, Rebecca. So now I can't speak in person at a conference or at a company. I have to adapt my business. And so all of this happening at the same time wow. has been one of the greatest challenges I have faced as a business. Um, and navigating that has helped to build my resilience uh, and also taught me so much in, in the last two plus years. I would imagine that has been a massive learning. I mean, it's a massive learning having a child for a start. <laughs> and then that's an energy, energy drain, can be. And on top of that, you've had to change your business dynamics. Um, mm. Likewise, so I thought that was challenging enough, let alone having a new baby on board, which I also <laughs> know is a, is a very challenging time. So what would be, as we wrap up, what have been your biggest tips for our listeners in you facing those massive challenges? Sure, I think the, uh, the first one that comes to mind, Rebecca, is the importance of adaptability. I mean, when we talk about business and leadership skills uh, that, that help in times of uncertainty and challenge, the ability to adapt, I think, is the most important. Because if I was rigid, if, if I didn't deviate away from just speaking in person, my business wouldn't have survived. I had to adapt. I, I adapted to speaking virtually uh, over Zoom on, across some of the many platforms that have since uh, since gone live on the market and also social audio. I, I started using platforms like Clubhouse. Uh, we've got LinkedIn audio now. We've got Facebook audio, Twitter spaces. But I had to adapt uh, my form of communication in a world in which everyone could only connect with one another online. Yeah. Uh, so adaptability is the first lesson I, I took from that. And second, I think it's having an environment around you of people that you can seek support from. Uh, I mean, I was going through a lot of challenges personally and professionally. And because I couldn't meet people in person, Rebecca, I had to think of ways uh, that I could access this support. And so I became part of some parents groups. Uh, I became part of author groups, fellow people who were writing books. Uh, I went into a business mastermind uh, of other business leaders who had to adapt and change things in their in their world or line of work as well and i think just having that access to uh, people going through similar things as you makes you realize you're not alone mm. you're not alone and there are other people just like you uh, who are also facing very similar challenges and i think that really helps me uh, to just be able to share what was on my mind to get it off my chest uh, and to have people listen to me and offer me a new perspective uh, so I think that was really useful for me. It was something I learned over, over the last couple of years, Rebecca. Well, well done for adapting to that. And congratulations about your book being out. I wish that 
all the best. And of course, I don't think you've given credit to yourself because adaptability requires a certain kind of mindset that mm-hmm. says, I have to adapt Yeah. and not put your head in the sand and hope things will go away. <laughs> so I think, you know, credit to you, 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 you took on the challenge and that's also a message in itself. Have an open mindset mm. to be adaptable and to change because the world changed has changed over the last couple of years. How mm. could our audience best get in touch with you, Simon? Is there anything you'd like to share with them as we draw this to a close? Sure, Rebecca. Uh, b- before I wrap up with a final message, uh, you can find me on all the social, the major social platforms, uh, but the two I am most active on uh, is LinkedIn. Uh, you can search Simon Alexander Ong uh, and connect with me on the personal profile because I also have a company page, but you can connect with me on the personal profile uh, and Instagram. On Instagram, my handle is at Simon Alexander O. And a message that I would like to close with is that I mentioned earlier about becoming a parent for the first time. And it was a surreal moment because we were at the hospital and while I was able to be at the birth of our child, because of the fact we entered, uh, we entered lockdown for the very first time, I was only allowed with my wife and child for one hour after the birth before all partners had to be ushered out of the building. And that was to manage uh, the number of people within the building so that they could control uh, the spread of COVID. But in the moment that I held my, my daughter in my arms for the very first time, as you can imagine, I was, of course, flushed with emotion and love. It reminded me of something that I think so many of us forget in the business of life. And that is we are a miracle. The fact that you and I were born to experience this, this gift of life is an absolute miracle. We have, in effect, won the greatest lottery ticket there is going, the lottery of life. And the question I love to finish on is what are you going to do with that winning ticket of yours? Fantastic point to end on. Thank you. (laughs) Pleasure, Rebecca. It is a miracle. And we absolutely should think about what you've just said. So thank you very much for sharing all of that with us today, Simon. Thank you also very much to everyone who listens to the Lead to Succeed podcast. And for your comments and feedback, they really do spur Callum and I on. And we love having amazing guests on our podcast, but we also love having our amazing listeners join us and share their thoughts with us. So thank you all very much for that as well. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the rjen.co.uk website.